Well, welcome again to the gathering. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here uh, for this community. And it was great to be led today in worship by Marla Harvey. So let's give it up for Marla and the band. Who who will come back here in just a moment as we close our time together as well, but wanted to acknowledge that as we get started. All right, if you have a Bible, you can meet me this morning in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is an Old Testament prophet. If you have a physical Bible, this is going to be about halfway through your Bibles. As you are finding that, I want to sort of jump off of the announcements that we just heard here a moment ago. And I don't usually do stuff like this, but I'm going to do it today. And I just want to say, get baptized. (laughs) If you have been uh, processing this, thinking about this, trying to figure out if now is the right time to do it, I would just encourage you to go for it. I think uh, it is one of the highlights of our year. Uh, What we do is we pull out a big old uh, tank, super fancy. Not really, that's a joke. Uh, We pull out this tank, we fill it with water, and we just dunk people here on the stage as we're singing together during our... This is next week, we're going to be looking at the practice of encouragement, which is one of our core practices. And we're going to be talking about things like gratitude and Thanksgiving, of course, because we're entering into that holiday season, but also just part of what I think is deeply encouraging to us as human beings is when we see the work of God in other people's lives. And, And... when we're able to see people tell their story and take that step, as Janine said, this, this physical representation of moving from death to life, of resurrection breaking through into someone's story, uh, it'll take your breath away. And so again, if you're on the fence, if you're, if you're still trying to decide whether, whether to do it or not, I would encourage you to go for it this, uh, this time around for sure. If you're intimidated about talking to me about it, um, you can talk to Antonio. You can talk to Yuan, who's playing the cello right here. Janine, who's just up here. Any of us would be happy to talk to you about getting baptized. All right, Jeremiah, chapter 36. Chapter 36. Uh, we're gonna, this is a long chapter, and we're going to jump around to different sections of it. I just want to uh, begin in verse 1, read a little bit, and then we'll pray, and we'll get of Josiah. So now everybody knows where we are in the story, Right? Also a joke. Anyway, uh, <laughs> quick bit of context here before we get into the rest of the story. So we talked about this last Sunday, if you were with us in the gathering, but there, there's the big story of Scripture, right? God creates the world and calls it good, and human beings rebel against this good creation, and it introduces sin, broken relationships into the story. And the good news of the whole story of Scripture is that God does not give up on his good creation. Right? He keeps coming after us. He desires to be close to us. This is the story of the God who wants to be close. And so the rest of the Bible really is kind of the unfolding of that story. And one of the main ways that this happens is through a particular group of people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who become known as the Israelites. They go through all sorts of ups and downs. They, they grow in number. They become slaves in Egypt. They're freed from slavery in Egypt. They settle into this uh, particular place uh, in Palestine. And, and then over time, they get to the point where they're like, we want to be like everybody else. We, we want a king. And so they enter into this time of kings. This is where we are here in the story. Most of the kings are really bad. Every now and then there is a good king. One of those good kings is this guy named Josiah. And he becomes king when he's eight years old. 
as a boy. And then when he's, he's a teenager, the people discover the book of Deuteronomy. They're digging around in some rubble and they find one of the ancient scrolls of Moses. And they read it. They read God's word and they are cut to the heart and there's this tremendous moment of repentance. Josiah leads all this renewal and it's this beautiful part of the story. And then he passes the king, he dies and he passes the kingdom off to his son who just immediately jumps back into this negative pattern of rejecting God, rejecting relationship with God. And so here comes Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as a prophet. He's a, a, a man, a person who speaks for God. And so the word of God comes to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah until now. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, they will each turn from their wicked ways, and then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. So you can hear there that things have gone poorly, right? And there are consequences for this. And so Jeremiah has the fun job of communicating this message to people. So Jeremiah called Baruch, son of Neriah, and will Jeremiah dictated all the, all the words the Lord had spoken to him. Baruch wrote them on the scroll. Then Jeremiah told Baruch, I'm restricted. I'm not allowed to go to the Lord's temple. And there's a lot of backstory. We're in chapter 36 of what is actually the longest book in the Bible, at least in terms of the number of words. And so Jeremiah has had to do this before a few times. And he's gotten into trouble before a few times. And so he cannot actually go to the temple and communicate the message, right? So he sends Baruch, you go to the house of the Lord on a day of fasting and read to the people from the scroll the words of the Lord that you wrote as I dictated. Read them to all the people of Judah who come in from their towns. Perhaps they will bring their petition before the Lord and will each turn from their wicked ways. For the anger and wrath pronounced against this people by the Lord told him to do at the Lord's temple. He read the words of the Lord from the scroll. Whew. Ready? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would take all the stuff that we bring into this space. All of the good, all of the hard, the questions we have, the doubts that we're working through, even the many good things that we may have experienced, God, we, we give them all to you now. Ask that you would hold them for us so that we can be fully present in this moment. We trust that you are here, that you are moving, that you are speaking. Tune us to your spirit so that we can hear your voice. And then, God, like Jeremiah, would you give us the courage to respond? to act in whatever ways that we may need to as we hear from you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jeremiah is, is a fascinating, I would argue he's an underrated character in Scripture. He lived primarily in Jerusalem, which was the center of all the action for the people of Israel. It was, it was the capital, it was where the king was, it was where the temple was, where worship happened. He lived in Jerusalem uh, roughly in, in the 7th to 6th century B.C. or B.C.E., which happened to be an extremely fertile moment in human cultural history. If you look at that era of history, Jeremiah is, is 
on the scene at the same time as Zarathustra in Persia, Lao Tzu in China, the Buddha in India, Thales in Greece, as, as the Greeks are developing their philosophy. A.H. Heinemann writes, all over the world, there was a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Deep thinking and ardent yearning characterize what we know of the centers of civilization. And it's at this moment that Jeremiah comes onto the scene. Jeremiah comes onto the scene. He writes one of the longest, again, depends on how you break it down, but by words, the longest book of the Bible, also one of the shortest. He most likely wrote the book of Lamentations. And he becomes this dominant voice in the Jewish prophetic tradition. But he had a bad job, right? He had to communicate to the people of Israel that their rejection of relationship with God, which was an ongoing thing. This had been going on for generations. That This would result in being conquered by the Babylonian Empire and taken into exile. And then that happens... And Jeremiah becomes the voice of processing exile and the grief of being taken from home and and what that all means and what it might look like for them to come back. Now through all of this, through judgment, exile, laments, all those different uh, huge traumatic experiences, Jeremiah is an excellent example of what we would call a guide. An excellent example of what we would call a guide. How many of you have had an experience where you have, you know, gone somewhere, done some sort of activity where you needed the help of a guide? Okay, maybe you're, you're hiking or touring or traveling somewhere. A guide can be really handy in those situations where we're in unfamiliar territory, right? One of our, uh, one of our interns last year, Ross, was a guide, is a guide for rafting on the American River and some guide. I think this is really helpful insight. Guides have training and tools, they have experience and knowledge, but they are not necessarily experts. Look at, look at the just dictionary definition of these words. Okay? An expert is a person who has comprehensive and authoritative knowledge of or skill in a particular area. A guide is a person who advises or shows the way to others. I love that. A guide is a person who shows the way to others. Now, our mission here at Discovery is to help people discover and rediscover the good news of Jesus. And embedded in that mission, even embedded in the name of our church, is this idea of movement, of journey, right? This journey of discovery. When you go on a journey, you want a guide. Someone who can help show the way. So central to our mission is the development of good guides. Not religious experts, but good guides who can help show the way for explorers. Richard Foster, who is one of the sort of like godfathers of the the practice. We're, We're in a conversation today called Practices. He's... He's written extensively on this, and, and sometimes they're called spiritual disciplines. One of the, uh, one of the people who's kind of led the way in, in reawakening this in the church, he writes, the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people. It's not for experts, right? It is for deep people. 
Our desperate need today is for good guides, not religious experts, but guides who are the embodiments of the intersection of our fall conversations. Remember, we started the fall talking about good neighbors, what it means to be a good neighbor, right? Loving God and loving each other, but also combining this, integrating this with the practices, right? People who can love God and love others well, the practices are the tools that help form us, shape us into guides. People who love God, who love people, and you can help show the way. Now today, we tackle the practice of reading scripture. And I, again, I just think Jeremiah is so helpful for this conversation. He was formed by scripture. As I mentioned before, a, a pivotal moment is the rediscovery of the book of Deuteronomy. This is a book that Jeremiah was deeply immersed in and it shows up. There's all sorts of references to Deuteronomy throughout the book of Jeremiah. But of course, Jeremiah also ends up writing scripture. So deeply formed by scripture, but then also contributes to it as a writer. Now, back to the story for just a moment. So Jeremiah 36, God says to Jeremiah, hey, I have something for you to say, so write it down. And he does. And some people read it and hear it read, and they go, ooh, it's not going to go over well. This is not going to go over well. This is a dangerous message, so you better hide, Jeremiah. This is one of the challenges with the Bible, which is that it oftentimes speaks truth to power. And so when you are in a position of power and you are in a position of privilege, Scripture can make you a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little bit of a tangent, but I think this is one of the reasons why we struggle sometimes to interpret Scripture well in the United States. Because most of Scripture is written to people who were oppressed, in exile, being taken over by Babylon. And sometimes it can be hard to sort of superimpose our dominant culture, American-centric perspective onto this ancient story. Are you with me? It speaks truth to power. Power does not always want to hear it. And that is exactly what happens in this story. Look at the king's response. We're now down in verse 22. It was the ninth month and the king was sitting in the winter apartments. These are facts just to sort of uh, ground us in the timeline here, which is to say that this is when it is cold. And so there's a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. Whenever Jehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them in the fire pot. ...who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Even though Elnathan, Deliah, and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Instead, the king commanded uh, Je Jerit... Oh my gosh... Jeremiel, thank you. <laughs> a son of the king, Sariah, son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, son of Abdeel, to arrest Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet. But I love this part. But the Lord hid them. <laughs> now, I want us to sit with this scene here for just a moment. The king's response here feels very Disney villain. Right? Like, ha, ha, ha. Drop it in the fire. 
And, and well, it's kind of funny and, and, and over the top. I think it, it can make it a little bit easy for us to distance ourselves from his response. Right? Because we're not doing the like, whoa, ha, ha, evil laugh and cutting scripture and actually dropping it into a fire. And yet, and yet, I want us to see that there are some ways in which we take scripture and, and we cut it up just like the king in this story. All right, there are some ways in which we approach Scripture very similar to this king, just cutting it, right, in an effort to distance ourselves from it, right, so that we don't have to deal with what it actually is and what it, with what it actually says. We cut it up, we dissect it, we tear it apart, so that we don't have to sit with what it might actually be saying to us. With what it really is, which is the personal revelation of the God who wants to be close. Sometimes we approach scripture as a code. A code to be cracked. Uh, I think I've told this story before, but a couple summers ago we were at a camp and somebody found that I was in a conversation with a guy and he found out that I was a pastor. And so he goes, oh, what do you think about Genesis 6? <laughs> Which, you know, was the thing that I was thinking about in that moment. So it, it was great. Um, Genesis 6, in case you're not familiar, is, is, is right before we get to Noah. And it's this like weird, weird story where the sons of, it says like the sons of God and, and the sons of men mate. Like maybe angels and men had some babies or something. And it's really weird and obscure and a lot of debate and argument about what is really going on. But this guy was convinced that that story explains everything. Like everything. Including all the current events that were happening two summers ago at that time. I don't know if uh, some of you may not be old enough to remember this, but in 2011, we were living in Boston. And our... Uh, our good friend, not really, uh, Harold Camping, who was this guy in Oakland, which is where we moved after this. So I don't know what that says about us. But anyway, Harold Camping predicted that the world was going to end in like September of 2011. Anybody remember this? I remember this very vividly because I was taking public transportation in Boston to go to work. And there was a sign in my stop that said the world is ending in 52 days. And then the next day, 51 days, right? And so I'm like, every day as I'm going to work, I'm like, wow, we, we're running out of time. <laughs> right? Now, these are the ridiculous examples. These are the ridiculous examples. But this is what happens a lot of times. We treat Scripture as a code to be cracked. Right? It, it's a system. And if we just learn the system, if we just figure out the system, it'll explain everything and everything will make sense. And we'll be doing it the right way. It's not actually a code to be cracked, right? Scripture is much more like a lens that we look through that helps clarify and make sense of the world. Sometimes we use Scripture as a weapon. And this one's a little bit confusing because Scripture does refer to itself as a sword. I'll say more about that in just a moment. But sometimes we use Scripture as a weapon, right? Like this verse, that character, this passage, boom, Bible scholar, right? We use it against people. 
We, we use it to make a point or to win an argument or to try to show someone that, oh, you're doing it the wrong way, right? And we just, we don't deal with what it actually is. Now, again, it does, Scripture does refer to itself as a sword, but I think the idea there is much more about our hearts being pierced and less about, like, I'm going to go get people. Are you with me? <laughs> So sometimes we use it as a code, sometimes as a weapon. Sometimes we use scripture simply for inspirational quotes. Maybe you've seen some of these kinds of things. Hopefully you can see it here on the screen. I can't. <laughs> this, is, this is a psalm. I believe it's Psalm 37. Delight, there we go. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Right? Which is, which is a verse that's in the Bible, but this is just cutting it up, right? What, what about the next one? Maybe we can read this one better. Yes, I can do everything through him who gives me strength, including pushing this gigantic rock, because that is what this verse is all about, right? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Next one. I love this one. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And the ability to apparently hang off of rocks, uh, which also happened to be by the beach and a palm tree during the sunset, right? Amazing, okay? We cut it up so that we don't have to deal with what it really is. Back to the story. After the king burned the scroll containing the words that Baruch had written at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, take another scroll. Again, there, there's some humor in this story. Take another scroll and write on it all the words that were on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned up. So Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the scribe, Baruch, son of Neriah. And as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote on it all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And many similar words were added to it. Like you didn't like the first one? Here, I'm going to give you even a little bit more this time. No matter how we try to limit it, to paraphrase Jurassic Park, God's word finds a way. <laughs> no matter how we try to limit it, God's word finds a way. In the New Testament, the writer Paul is in prison. And he writes this. He says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. This is the good news for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. So despite our best or worst efforts, the word of God is unbound. We can't cut it up. We can't eliminate it. We can't diminish it. We can't reduce it to a code or an inspirational quote. We either reject it or submit to its ultimate purpose, which is to invite us to deal with what, or in this case, who is most real, God. Remember this quote, scripture is an invitation to step into the true story of our universe. It is an invitation to deal with what is most real. It is an invitation to be with God. 
Now, this morning, as we consider reading Scripture as a practice, we're much more focused on the why than the how. That being said, we do have uh, some resources for you. So this Advent, we have a reading plan, just a 25-day, very simple uh, walk through the story of Jesus. Starts in the Old Testament and ends in the end of the story in Revelation. And uh, you can just do a little reading each day, uh, all of those 25 days leading up to Christmas. If it's been a while since you've, you've read the Bible or uh, it's been a while since you've had a reading plan, this is a very simple one and a great way to start rebuilding or building up that muscle uh, for the first time. There are also some books that get, again, more into the how uh, that we highly recommend here at Discovery. That book list is on, uh, is on this resource. You can get a physical copy of it at the table in the lobby. There's also a digital copy on our app and our webpage together this season. Now, back to the why for a moment as we come in for a landing here. Why do we read Scripture? Why is this a core practice for us? Well, first, we read Scripture to be formed. And there are certainly times where, where we need information, where, where we might need to be educated or dig in kind of intellectually to a certain thing. But the primary approach to Scripture for us is formation over information. This, this book shapes our lives. It, it gives us a story, a lens that makes sense of our world and helps us to see reality. And so we read it, we consume it, we devour it so that it gets in us and shapes us so that it becomes who we are. Not just some things that we know about God, not just some words that we can recite or some ideas that we have, but it becomes part of who we are. We're shifting the focus from behavior to character. And so we read this, we consume this book so that it shapes us and becomes who we are. Look at how Jeremiah says it. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Do you see the connection between God's word and his sense of identity? When your word came, I ate it because this is who I am. I bear your name. We read for formation. Meredith Miller in her wonderful book, Woven. We're going to do more with this book uh, coming up, so stay tuned. She writes, the biggest problem with mining the Bible for so-called principles, again, this is that cutting, right? is that this simply isn't what the Bible is about. The point of the Bible is not to provide principles, but to tell the story of what God is doing in the world. Real, regular humans are important characters in this story, but God is the central character throughout. This is the connection to our second why. So we read for formation, but we also read for relationship. We read to know God. We read the story and to know the God who is writing this story. Jeremiah knew God. And because he knew God, he could hear his voice. And he had the courage to respond to that voice when it spoke to him. Go write this down. It's going to make some people mad. You're going to get in trouble again. But write it down. 
Jeremiah knew God and he could hear God. King Jehoiakim rejected the story and kept God at a distance, literally cutting God out of his life. And so my question for us this morning is just real simple. What is our posture towards the Bible, towards Scripture, towards reading? Are we eating it? Devouring it, getting it inside of us, or are we systematizing, cutting, Instagramming? Are we keeping it at a distance so that we don't have to deal with what it really is? Personal revelation of the God who wants to be close. My prayer for us is that we are a community that hears the words of God and eats them up. Right, consumes them, explores them, not to become experts, but to know God and to be formed as guides who can help others explore and know the good news of Jesus. Now I'll invite the band to come back as we prepare for communion and our time of closing worship. One of our kind of basic convictions here at Discovery is that there are actually many ways that we can know God. And Scripture is certainly one of them. A primary vehicle, right, for knowing God is His Word. But we also can know and experience relationship with God in many different ways. For some of us, that primary way is through prayer, and we will have some people available for prayer here this morning if you want to pray during our closing time. Uh, But another uh, grounding central way that we experience and know the good news of Jesus and enter relationship with God is through communion, which is this very simple meal, right? This cracker that represents Jesus' body broken for us, this cup of juice representing his blood poured out for us, this very simple meal that reminds us this God wants to be close, right? This God has removed the barriers, So that we can be in relationship with him. That Jesus' life, death, and resurrection overcome our rejection and sin and make it possible for us to know God. Not just to know some information, but to know God. So as we get ready for the table, I'm going to read one more thing. But again, I just want to ask you to, to sit maybe for a moment with that question. What is my posture towards God's word, towards scripture? Am I holding it at a distance? Am I cutting it out? Am I immersed in it? Am I devouring it, eating it, getting it inside me? Our prayer this morning as we come to the table is this. This is from Philippians chapter 3. Again, the writer Paul. I want to know Christ. Just right there, I love that, right? Not I want to know Scripture, although he did know it inside and out. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. This is my prayer for us. Would you pray with me as we get ready for communion? Heavenly Father, we want to know you. Father, Son, and Spirit, we want to know you. Not just to know things about you, 
not, not just to stuff our brains with information, but to actually know and encounter you in a real and personal way. Thank you that, that you engage us in so many ways, through your word, through song, through conversations with people, through, uh, through prayer, and through the table. In this moment, God, that we would meet you that we would know you in a new, fresh, different, deeper way this morning as we encounter you in all of these different ways. Thank you that you have taken the initiative to come close to us. Thank you for Jesus, who is the clear representation of your desire to be with us. And so we celebrate and remember that good news together this morning. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.